0: Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai. And you are listening to Food Nonfiction, the incredible true stories behind food.
1: Today, we take you on a journey with us as we trace the origins of fondue.
0: Searching for an origin story is not easy. Sometimes there are things named fondue that aren't really fondue as we know it. And there are other things that kind of sound like fondue, but you're not sure if it's close enough to really count.
1: For example early mention of something that sounds a bit like fondue was in Homer's Iliad, which is from somewhere between 700 to 800 BCE. The mention in the Iliad was of a goat's cheese wine and flour mixture which was melted. So to help us
2: get on the right track, we called for
1: help. My name
2: is Bolinda Hulin, actually Bolinda Hulin Chrisman, but most of my food writing has been done under my maiden name. And uh, I've been a food writer, oh, for more years than I really
0: want to talk about. Belinda wrote the Everything Fondue Party Book.
1: So you must know a lot about fondue. Can you tell us a little bit about where the idea of fondue came from? Cheese fondue,
2: particularly,
1: is traced back to Switzerland
2: sometime around 1600 and like many amazing dishes it started out as peasant food. The idea was that you might have a loaf of bread that's not quite as fresh as it was yesterday but it's not bad. You can't afford to let it go to waste. You've got bits of cheese and other things in the larder And it's the dead of winter, and you've got to find something to put together. And so somewhere along the way, somebody took the dried up ends of cheese and a little splash of wine or whatever they had on hand, some herbs, and melted it on the hearth. And people took bread that was stale, which is now the perfect thing for dipping into melted cheese, and had a wonderful communal supper
1: So, according to Belinda, when fresh foods were limited during winter, people needed to find ways to use foods that were prepared during warmer months and had gotten stale, such as old cheese and bread. So they melted the cheese and dunked the stale bread in, which softened the bread.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Fondue provided a warm meal, which could soften stale bread, and everyone could eat sharing one pot, all huddled around the fire together.
1: Right, so that's a very possible origin story.
0: Yes, what we do know for certain is that there was a cookbook in 1699 from Zurich about cooking cheese with wine. At this time, the term fondue, which is the French word for melted, was not yet applied to the dish that we know as fondue
1: today. Back then, fondue was the name of a dish with eggs and cheese in it that is described as being sort of like a souffle. Over time the melted cheese dish that we love just took over the name. But fondue didn't get popular just
0: because it's delicious. It needed a catalyst to push it into the mainstream at the right time. Fast forward to World War I and the creation of what would eventually be called the Swiss Cheese Union.
1: So, just curious, have you ever heard of the Swiss Cheese Union? The
2: Swiss Cheese Union?
1: Mm-hmm. No. I only ask because um, not too long ago, this podcast by NPR did a whole episode about the Swiss Cheese Union. I thought I'd ask Yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an NPR fan, but I'm, I must have missed that. There is an old episode of an NPR podcast that talked about the Swiss Cheese Union. They told the story of how the Swiss Cheese Union made fondue popular. So they were the catalyst. Let's start from the very beginning. According to Swiss Federal Archives,
0: soon after the start of the First World War, the Association of Swiss Cheese Export Firms was founded to ensure stable sales of Swiss cheese in the face of the uncertainties of war.
1: The Association was given control of purchasing and exporting cheese and were given the responsibility of calculating cheese quotas based on the cheese sales in the previous two years, so 1912 and 1913.
0: The association was dissolved by the state after the war, but then the members founded a new, private cooperative, this time named the Cheese Union.
1: So what was the point of the new Swiss Cheese Union? Well, before World War I, the Swiss exported a lot of their cheese. After World War I, other countries in Europe had suffered greatly, so they weren't importing Swiss cheeses anymore.
0: This meant that Swiss cheesemakers had a much more limited customer base. They had to sell within Switzerland. Instead of trying to beat out the competition for the smaller customer base, they basically formed a cartel. They controlled the amount of production, the price, and the distribution of cheese.
1: Part of that control included supporting only a few types of cheese. Before the war, there were over a thousand types of Swiss cheese being made. But now, we're really only familiar with Emmental and Gruyere. You know how when you
0: draw cheese, you draw it like a triangle with holes in it? That's Emmental you're drawing.
1: The Swiss Cheese Union had the goal of selling more cheese, both locally and abroad. What they needed was some awesome recipe that would use a lot of cheese. And, of course... That awesome
0: recipe was fondue. Fondue was the answer.
1: So the Swiss Cheese Union marketed fondue like crazy. They used newspaper ads, brochures, film, radio, and television. Everyone knew the slogan for fondue. Fondue is good and get a good lune. In fact, this slogan became so well known that it was simplified to an acronym.
0: Google. And, of course, we know the result of all that fondue marketing. Fondue became super popular. You and I, we've both had fondue. We've all had fondue. Unless you're lactose intolerant, in which case you should take a lactate and try fondue.
1: Americans got a taste of fondue in 1939 at the Swiss Pavilion of the World's Fair in New York, and again at the World's Fair in 1964, by which time it was better known in America. New York had a restaurant called Chalet Suisse, and the chef there took fondue to new heights. To be clear, we do mean Chalet Suisse, not the Canadian chain restaurant Swiss Chalet.
2: No, no, no. This was a a New York restaurant. I'm not sure when it closed. I think the chef's name was Conrad with a K. Eckley E-G-L-I. This was a standalone restaurant.
0: Yep, Conrad Egley, he was
2: the chef and eventual owner of the restaurant. They started serving not just cheese fondue, but also what people refer to as fondue bourguignon, which is a fondue where the the liquid is oil or wine and you cook bits of meat in the, the pot. Conrad
0: Igley introduced the new meat and oil fondue dish in the 1950s. In the 1960s, he introduced chocolate fondue. The chef
2: there decided that he was going to create a dessert fondue. He brought out fondue pots and melted heavy cream and chocolate, good Swiss chocolate, and put bits of cake and fruit all around it um in a, a classic fondue presentation. And from then on you can you can thank him for every chocolate fountain at every wedding that you've ever been to. <laughs> oh, and and it is it is absolutely scrumptious. But really, I mean, what it is, is chocolate ganache, you know, just melted chocolate and heavy cream. <laughs> and chocolate and heavy cream has never been a bad thing, no matter how you do it. <laughs> so, yes, that, uh, we, we can claim that, uh, that little bit of uh, food lore, of fondue history.
0: Yes, chocolate fondue is a North American creation. Albeit with a Swiss chef making a Swiss dish with a Swiss chocolate.
1: By the way, the Swiss chocolate we're talking about is Toblerone. Chocolate fondue was actually created as a collaboration with Toblerone, which wanted to sell chocolate in the United States. Well, that was successful eventually. Very. I will eat Toblerone straight. Well, yeah, I didn't,
0: you almost don't want to melt chocolate for that good for fondue.
2: When people in North America really, really caught on to fondue was in the 60s, it was the ultimate cocktail party food. In fact, that's how I was introduced to it, because my mother, and my parents were part of a Uh, sort of a round-robin dinner party thing. And, you know, every month it was at a different house. Well, when it was at our house, we had fondue and, you know, all sorts of wonderful hors d'oeuvres. And everybody showed up very nicely dressed and sipped cocktails. And the whole thing looked so sophisticated. The
0: Swiss cheese union that helped to popularize fondue was dissolved in 1999. There was apparently quite a bit of corruption. And that's the story of fondue. This is so much fun. I'm so happy to talk to you. Fondue is one of my all-time favorites, and I would love to share my sister's fondue recipe with everyone.
1: (gasps) Okay, on our Facebook page?
0: I will say it right now, and then we can put it on the Facebook page as well. Got it. I'm not going to put amounts, because it all depends on how much you want to make. I'm not a huge fan of the flavor of wine, so my sister suggested that we try a beer fondue. So you use beer, and then you shred up Gruyere cheese. Gruyere? Gruyere. I, Gruyere? You shred up Gruyere cheese.
1: <laughs> you said it the same as
0: Did me. I? Gruyere? <laughs> okay, apparently I can't pronounce it. Gruyere cheese, Gruyere cheese.
1: <laughs> go however you want to say it. Okay.
0: So you get Gruyere cheese and then cheddar. And here's the important part that nobody ever does you want to avoid having a stringy fondue. You have to make sure to shred up your cheeses and then you put them in a paper bag with flour and you mix that bag all together. It coats the uh, cheese so that it doesn't curdle and get all stringy once you heat it up.
1: Okay. And you've tried this and it's delicious?
0: I've had it multiple times and I've had friends request that I bring it to parties multiple times. It's a real crowd pleaser.
1: Oh man.
0: So you boil the beer, you... After you've shredded your cheese and shook it with the flour, um, if you use a little too much flour, you can always put it through a colander and kind of get rid of that excess so that it's just the nicely coated um, grated cheese. And then you put a little bit of sour cream into the fondue pot once the beer is boiling. It kind of thickens things. And then you slowly add the cheese, stirring it in. And I usually like to add a little bit of fresh cracked pepper to the top. I will say that while bread is everyone's favorite thing to serve with cheese fondue, I'm also a huge fan of serving it with Asian pears. A lot of people serve it with apples, but when I bring apples and Asian pears to a party to serve with my fondue, I always run out of the Asian pears first. So, if anybody ends up trying that recipe, please uh, take some photos and put it on our Facebook page. My sister will be happy to know that she's brought so many people so much joy with her wonderful beer cheddar fondue recipe.
1: And I would like to see pictures of what this looks like.
0: By the way, our German speakers for this episode are actually two friends of mine, Jan and Yoli, and they are from Germany.
1: I'm really glad we didn't have to pronounce it ourselves.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that would have been brutal. Pretty sure we would have gotten some complaint emails.
1: So what's new, Fakri?
0: <sighs> well, I am, as always, working on my thesis. <laughs> I feel like it's the never-ending process. But I do have a good a bit of good news. I received the Brain Mapping Institute's Scholar Award. So mm-hmm. I have a fully funded postdoc when I moved to Ontario in the fall or winter, depending on when this thesis is over.
1: That is insanely cool.
0: Yes, I'm really excited about it.
1: Okay, I may not have award money, but I did just go to New Orleans Ooh. for several days to spend time with my friend, visiting Danny. Hey, Danny, I know you're listening to this in your car. We all miss you. And we just stuffed our faces. Even even when we weren't eating at amazing restaurants, we would buy chips and chocolates and just sit on the bed and watch Netflix. Nice. It was amazing. It was like having multiple sleepovers with all your best friends. I'm
0: sure you went to Cafe Du Monde?
1: Yes. Yes, I multiple times we went to Cafe DuMont for beignets.
0: They're so good. Just a warning to any of our listeners that have never had one, a beignet is kind of like a fried donut. Well, donuts are fried, but it's like...
1: <laughs> it is like... It's like a donut without the hole in it, and instead of like any kind of icing, it's like powdered sugar.
0: It is doused in powdered sugar. If you go to Cafe Dumont, powdered sugar is all over the floor. Like, it is everywhere. So, word to the wise, don't wear black if you're going to go to Cafe Dumont and care about what you look like afterwards.
1: I feel like I need to go on a cleanse now, though.
0: Oh, seriously. Anytime I come back from New Orleans, I need at least a week of like healthy foods.
1: How many times have you been?
0: I used to go every year for, I think, four years in a row. I led a group of high school students to do rebuilding efforts after oh. Hurricane Katrina, and we would replant wetlands, which was my favorite part as the biology teacher.
1: Well, I'm glad
0: you had a good time
1: in New Orleans. By the way... Somebody that I recently met at a conference in Denver, she tweeted me recently. She finally followed her dreams and started a food blog, which is amazing. It's called MyTalismanOfHappiness.com. So you should definitely go read her articles. What's She's her awesome. name? Marta. So thanks for listening in, Food Buffs. We would love to hear from you. If you want to write to us, then write to us at feedback at foodnonfiction.com. Have a great week, food buffs. Bye. Bye.